Yo, we're going to talk about Silicon Valley Bank today, but first I have to explain the hiatus. My computer died. And this has been a giant pain in the ass. I'm sure you've had this before where your computer dies and you got to get set up again. You got to get a new computer and Microsoft Office and all this stuff. And for, you know, for a while you're using the old computer and the new computer at the same time. And it's just fucking sucks. <laughs> like It's really been terrible. But I'm mostly set up at this point, and I'm set up enough to begin the podcast again. So here we are. We're going to talk about Silicon Valley Bank. So Silicon Valley Bank was run by a bunch of complete idiots. And I should be a little bit more charitable. I mean, they're good at doing what they do. You know, they're basically a jiffy lube for venture capital funds. And... They know a lot about tech and they know a lot about venture capital. As it turns out, they knew nothing about finance because what they did was they bought a bunch of low coupon treasuries and mortgages with infinite duration and didn't hedge the interest rate exposure and got sconed. I mean, their their fixed income portfolio was down like 30, 40 percent. So <laughs> they lost two billion dollars. Oh, my God. So one of the things we've been doing in the last week or two is we've been trying to figure out, you know, what other banks have similar exposure. I mean, because when rates go up, it affects everybody. And so people are like, this is like the great Wall Street game. Like, who's next? So is it First Republic or somebody else? So now Silicon Valley Bank was a rich person's bank. Okay. They didn't just take anybody. You had to be. Pretty much in the Silicon Valley community, you had to have assets, and they basically were made up of 35,000 customers that had, on average, $4 million in the bank. Okay, So you got to say to yourself, why are we bailing out? I mean, first of all, the bank is not being bailed out. The equity has gone to zero. It's it's done. They're, they're bankrupt. But we're bailing out the depositors. I mean, as you know, FDIC covers up to 250000 and after that, you're on your own. And in this particular case, the FDIC, the FDIC said, we're covering all the depositors. We're covering all of it. So this is going to cost about $60 billion. And remember, this is not taxpayer money. The, the FDIC builds this fund through fees that it charges member banks. So it's not taxpayer money. But... Out of the $120 billion that they had, this is going to use up about half of it. So they could potentially have to use more, and then it would go into taxpayer dollars. So, so why does deposit insurance exist? I mean, this is sort of an artifact of the Great Depression. I mean, there was a ton of bank failures in the Great Depression. And really, I, I don't necessarily philosophically disagree with deposit insurance. I don't. Because... Nobody really has the time or the inclination or the sophistication to do due diligence on a bank and figure out whether it is creditworthy or not. Like nobody has nobody has the ability to do that. I mean, I do. But even even though I have the ability, I'm just like I'm not that diligent. Like I probably you know, if I put my money in a bank, I wouldn't open up the hood and see what's inside and, you know, figure out if it was safe or not, because I just have other shit to do, you know, and everybody else does. 
And the other thing that deposit insurance does is it gives people confidence in the banking system. Now, maybe it's a sense of false confidence, but you people need to know that their money is safe in the bank. And like I said, I don't necessarily disagree with the premise of deposit insurance. Okay. Now, I will say, I want to say that as of about 2009, Deposit insurance used to be a hundred thousand, and now it's two hundred fifty thousand, and now of course it's infinity. So, like we don't really have the ability to back every single deposit in all banks in the United States. Banks have about twenty-two trillion in deposits. I mean, I'm sure, like if every bank went bankrupt and we covered twenty-two trillion, that would basically double the size of the national debt, and that would have a lot of other consequences. But we should. You know, we should not be in the business of insuring unlimited deposits. We should keep it to the 250000 So, again, no taxpayer funds were harmed in the making of this bailout yet. This is all out of the FDIC. So, then there are some other banks that took a dirt nap. First Republic is one of them. This is ongoing as I'm talking to you right now. They're trying to sell to somebody else. Um... But I think the problems at Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic are pretty unique. And I don't think that there is going to be a wave of bank failures. Okay. So, but the lesson here is that banking is based on confidence and confidence can evaporate overnight, which is what we saw, which is why the government did what it did. So now at the moment, I don't have much money in the bank. Because I've been writing checks to the builder for the house. So I actually don't have that much. I have a, I just don't have that much money in the bank. So I have a lot of money in gold and I have a lot of money in real estate. Uh, it's actually outside the banking system at the moment, which just is kind of a happy coincidence, you know. But I said before that the Fed was going to hike rates until they broke something. And they eventually did. And now we're, you know, we have a Fed meeting next week and, you know, the Fed is, are they going to hike 25? Are they going to hike zero? What are they going to do? Well, they should really not hike at all. They should maintain rates here. And if they hike 25 basis points, I think the consequences of that are going to be pretty severe. And what that's going to demonstrate on the part of the Fed is just a complete lack of intellectual flexibility, right? Like, we're on this path. We're going to keep going this direction. It doesn't matter what happens. And if you're a policymaker, if you're the Fed, like, you have to be, you have to react to, to new information, you know? So I think they're going to fuck it up. I do. Uh, what else? But the, the biggest takeaway from all of this, and I was talking about this for weeks in the Daily Dirt Nap, everybody was short bonds in the front end of the yield curve, two years, three years, five years, everybody was short the front end and it, which was a pretty easy trade. You know, the fed's been hiking for a year, you know, they communicated all these hikes and everybody's short the front end. It's an easy trade rates kept going up and up and up. And I kept talking about in the newsletter. I kept talking about how crowded it was getting. Uh, and I said, people are just believing that we're going to have rate hikes forever. And I just talked about how crowded it was. And boy, was it crowded. Because on the day that Silicon Valley Bank failed, or maybe the day after, 
we had the biggest move in two-year interest rates since the crash of 87. It was a panic, get-me-out, liquidation event. Like, it was, it was one of the biggest short squeezes I've ever seen in anything in my entire life. You had a 100 basis point move in the two-year note. That is insane, right? So it was actually a 13 standard deviation event. <laughs> Man, and that's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen in billions and billions of years. So the one thing I will say is you definitely, if there is a 13 standard deviation event, you definitely want to be on the right side of it, not the wrong side. So, so what should you be doing in times like this? Well, if you have less than 250 grand in the bank, then don't worry about it. You're fine. If you have more than 250 grand in the bank, you can always move it to some other banks, but that's kind of a pain. Um, you can one thing you can do is you can buy T-bills, right? Through your brokerage account or through Treasury Direct or something, you can buy T-bills directly. And that's easy to do. Um, you can also buy gold, right? You can buy Bitcoin. I don't recommend buying Bitcoin. Bitcoin is pretty volatile, but Bitcoin has been doing well in this crisis on the idea that it's probably safer than having your money in the bank. Now, I don't agree with that, but that's what the market is doing. So, or you can have your money in a too big to fail bank, right? So Wells Fargo, B of A, Citigroup, banks like that, like if you have your money in a too big to fail bank, you're probably going to be safe because those banks will get bailed out. Depositors are going to be protected, at least in the United States. So, and one thing I'm, you know, one thing that kind of sucks about this is I'm not sure why Silicon Valley Bank became so politically important. You know, why are we bailing out Richie Rich and all his rich friends? So, oh, well, sure. Yeah, that's why. So, I, I, you know, I hate to be cynical about this, but, you know, these, these guys were politically connected, you know, to all the right people. So, that, that you, would, you would be fooling yourself if you said that that didn't play a role in what's going on here. So, I assure you that if Conway National Bank in South Carolina went under, that they would not be bailing out unlimited amounts of deposits, for sure. So, I'm actually being serious about the T-bills, right, or money market funds. I mean, just as a general rule, you want to spread your money out, right? Like, you know, you had some people in Silicon Valley Bank who had millions of dollars like substantially all of their money in this bank and nowhere else. Put it in some T-bills, put it in some gold, put it in some money market funds, spread it around. You know what I mean? Just in case. People, I don't know. Like, it just I, I can't deal with this concentration of risk. It's not good to have all your money in the same place. As usual, the financial markets are very, very stupid. Carl Icahn once said, some people make money off of artificial intelligence. Me, I make money off of natural stupidity. So on a personal note, I had my party in New York last week. I probably didn't talk about it on the podcast because I wasn't on the podcast, but I had a party in New York. It's fantastic. Lots of people showed up. Great time dancing, all this stuff. Um, I have a gig at a local club at a college at Coastal Carolina on March 23rd. 
So I'm looking forward to that. And aside from that, I'm just hanging out. You know, I'm going to be taking my last class at school and generally being a lazy sack of shit, you know, just chilling out. I will say that the newsletter business is pretty terrible these days. It is atrocious. It is really bad. Uh, there's a lot of fear out there. People don't want to subscribe to research. They don't read stuff. They're disengaged from the markets. And this is really the first drawdown that I've sustained in subscription revenue in my career doing the Daily Dirt Nap. So anyway, if you've been listening to Be Smart podcast and you've always been interested in the Daily Dirt Nap, why don't you drop me a line and tell me that you heard about me on the Be Smart podcast. I can give you a little break. So thanks for listening to the Be Smart podcast. I'm Jared Dilly and see you next time.